listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. i got to tell you something, people. Uh, my guest today, I'm excited because my guest is, is a powerfully funny comic. She's a coach. She's an advocate. She's a writer. She's an actor. She's a podcaster. She does it all. And I found out her birthday is November 15th, which is my sister's birthday. And it Uh-oh. makes both of us Scorpios because I'm October 30th. And my guest is Judy Gold. How you doing, Judy? Good. How are you? Good, good. So now, are you in New York right now? No, I'm in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Okay, now, you have a show that goes weekly, I believe? Yeah, so I uh, so I have a house in Provincetown. I bought it in 1994. I was on a series, and I took the money and bought a house, which was the smartest thing I ever did in my entire life. Um. And I started performing here in 92 uh, at the Post Office Cabaret. And I come here every summer for a certain amount of time to perform. So for the last several years, I sort of have a residency here um, at the Art House. And I perform two nights a week. I do hour plus shows. uh, And I work on new material. And the audiences are fucking great am i allowed to curse on this yeah curse all you want fucking fuck 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 great so i'm working uh july fridays and saturdays and in august tuesday night and wednesday night now you've been doing it for a few years at this place so i'm sure many years people come back and see you is it hard for you to sit there as a comic and constantly write new material because people know if they know your act and they know you they're going to want to see something new you know, that's a good question. The thing is, I mean, it's, you know, we always compare it to music. It's like, you know, you go hear a concert, and I wrote about this in my book, um, that with comedians, um, it's true. A lot of people are like, I heard that joke, you did that joke on The Tonight Show like two weeks ago. You know, they don't realize how long it takes to write a bit, you know, and if you go to a, see a, 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 show, a music show, you want to go see your favorite band, right? Um, and they uh, do all new stuff. You're like, what the fuck? I don't want to hear this shit. I want to hear the old stuff. So for people who truly love stand up, there are bits that you can hear over and over again. You know, um, you know, especially as a comedian, I love hearing, you know, a lot of my favorite comics. I, I, I'll say do this bit, you know, because I just love it so much. Uh, and I think because you're right, because people I'm like, oh, my God, these people saw me last year. I got to have new stuff. I, I think that gives lights a fire under my ass. Plus, I get bored with shit. I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm done. Um, but I do often have people coming up to me and telling me old bits or saying something to me. And I'm like, Oh my God, wait, where do I know that from? And it's a punchline from one of my bits. So it really depends on the consumer, you know, the person and how, how into comedy they are, because look, you and I, we're the same generation. We listen to albums over and over and over. I mean, I listened to Joan Rivers album. I don't know how many times, like, till I could lip sync it perfectly, you know? Um, so it really, 
it's such a it's such a an interesting art form in that way uh but personally you know i get bored with my stuff um i'm like i don't feel like doing that and life changes and things change and you you know you want to address what's on people's minds which is so weird because that's you know you think about the pandemic all the clubs were closed which is so unfortunate because it was like the perfect storm we were all in the same boat you know and it was like a gift but you know well it's funny you said for that comedy not for life i did i did comedy from 88 to 95 and I, you know, I was out of the Philly area and I go on the road and I would become friends with Facebook and years later and people would like send me like a message of, you remember this bit? And it was yeah, mine. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, how the fuck did I forget that when someone who I knew I've seen in 20 years remembers right. it? Right. And I think for me, I, I, I agree with you because like, you know, my older brother had Cheech and Chong wedding album. I mean, why, and I listened to that constantly in the early steve martin albums where it was the oh yeah oh my god yes and and even with your act like i was watching a clip of you today with the spit girl and judy's show i gotta ask you that was a ballsy move like what made you think of okay i'm gonna go up on stage with this spit girl and and people are gonna sit there and laugh at it well that is (laughs) that's such a funny question um so i was doing i was i always took acting classes because I always wanted to be prepared, you know. Um, I wanted to be able to be a comic who knew how to act. Um, And so I was doing some, I mean, I must have been like 23. I don't know. I was doing some scene in my acting class from the 20s. And I I put a little spit curl here. And um, I kind of liked it. And I was like, oh. And, And I feel like, I mean, if I think about it now, so many years later, uh, you know, I'm so tall, and that was always constant, you know, even when people would introduce me, and it was the first thing people, I mean, still, still to this day, but you know, in the 80s, an MC's gonna, you know, first of all, it was always like, oh, our next act is a woman, that was usually, you know, the first thing, and then I just throw it back in their face, you know, that's our MC, he has a penis and balls, he's a man. (laughs) but a lot of times they would lift the mic stand up or say something about, um, you know, that was, that was a defining thing with me Uh, and my whole life. And I think that maybe might've been an attempt to like, here's something else you can look at. Um, and Michael Patrick King who created, uh, well, I don't know if, well, he's, you know, really created Sex in the City. He's written for them and executive produced and all that stuff. He said to me, we were, at, I think, at the Improv in New York on 44th between um, 8th and 9th. And he said, <laughs> he said, oh, my God, that stupid spit curl. If you had your own show in the 60s, you'd slide down that spit curl singing its Judy show. And that was it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's true. And I would sing, it's Judy's show, after every fucking joke that bombed. Um, And it was so true. I loved variety shows, and I loved the 60s, and I love all that, like, flower power shit and all that, you know, 60s and 70s stuff. So that really became sort of my signature thing. And to this day, 
people who come up to me on the street and are like, it's Judy show, you know. Well, people remembered it. It's like with me, yeah. with Kevin. I don't care. I don't. People remember. Oh my god, stuff. I know. And you I sit there. I, I lost I his care. old my his old Carson set, and I was dying because I was like, first of all, the balls on this guy to get on national TV, you know, on the Tonight Show, and sit there and break into the just and it's yeah. amazing. And I think it's. I mean, it takes a lot of confidence on stage, like. I'm, you know, I mean, I know all comics were insecure, but to, to sit there and like your act, it's like you were very upfront and you didn't, it's like you didn't give a crap. And I know for me, right. if I didn't get a laugh, I would go, I'd, I'd sit there and go shit in my right, head. Right, right. What, how did you, how did you keep, was that, was that all a guys or were you just like so confident on stage because you had acting background that you just didn't give a crap? Oh no, I did stand up since I'm 19 years old and you know, I, Another thing I write about in my fantastic book, um, I was uh, bullied a lot, you know, and made fun of, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, oh, poor me, poor me. But when you're humiliated on a daily basis, uh, there's nothing that you can say that I haven't heard that, you know, is going to hurt me. And I've, I've been there, done that. I've heard it. Um, and I think part of my, you know, I was always funny, but part of loving doing, being a standup is that I'm controlling the laughter. You know what? I'm one step ahead. You're not going to laugh at me. I'm going to tell you what you're going to laugh at. And I think that all that ridicule and, um, otherness, uh, sort of, gave me this fuck you attitude. But in reality, if you know me as a person, you know, I'm a mush. I'm a very sensitive, like I'm just so empathetic and loyal to a fall. But when I'm on stage, I I just call the shit out as I see it, you know, because I never understood, like, I just never understood, you know, you're a Jew, Right? No, um, I'm not actually. Everyone thinks I am. Not a Jew? Everyone thinks I am. I'm not. I grew up in Cherry Hill, oh. New Jersey. And oh thinks- my God! I, you know, I went to Rutgers, and my roommate went to Cher- was from Cherry Hill. Oh my God! You're so Jewy. And Cooper's <laughs> such a Jewy name. Anyway, <laughs> in the Jewy family, there are so many secrets. All the t- there's a lot of whispering. There was a lot of like speaking in Yiddish and German, so I wouldn't hear. You know, but I'd hear my name. Would be like, oh, and I'm like, what the fuck is everyone? You know. I never understood why no one talked about the elephant in the room. Like I, from as a little kid, I was like, what, why aren't we talking about what everyone's thinking? You know, always. Um, and I think that that is, I still, I'm still like that. Like what, why are we not talking about what everyone's thinking? You know, um, which Joan Rivers, you know, if you, when you look at Joan Rivers always said, I'm saying what everyone's thinking, but too afraid to say. Now, your book is, uh, yes, I can say that. Is that the reason, one of the reasons why you wrote it? Because it seems like right now you can't say what you want to say. Like your act from years ago, you know, your comments about Jews and stuff like that. Even people who are Jewish would find that maybe offensive. It's funny because people find things offensive. Like I always say, I'm bald. I said, no one, no one gives a bald guy a break. But I don't, I don't find anything offensive about bald. Right. I'm like, I don't find it. But 
is that one of the reasons why you wrote the book? Because you've always wanted to say what is on your mind. Well, I feel like, first of all, I, you know, the book came about, I was asked to write a book about, you know, about free speech from the perspective of a comedian um, by an editor over at um, Day Street Books. Um, and I, I really wanted to, I mean, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Of course, didn't realize, the, I mean, I kind of knew it was a daunting task, but, you know, it's a daunting task. But I feel like when you don't talk about things, that's when you get into trouble. That's when they repeat themselves. And exact, you know, if I was going to address exactly what you're saying, you know, I'm talking about Jews, right? Because I'm a Jew and I live my life through the eyes of a Jew. Like it's, you know, people always ask me, are you more gay, more Jewish? Like it's so stupid. But I'm a Jew. Like, it's in my DNA. It's what I think. It's the way I think. It's what I eat. It's how I look. It's how I talk. You know, it's me, you know? And I'm also a lesbian. um, And I notice what's happening is people are saying, no, you can't talk about that because we find it offensive. Okay? First of all, you're 12. And you've been on this earth for 12 fucking years, okay? So you haven't lived in the world as a person. You gain perspective, you know? You joking for a lot of us, especially in the LGBTQ plus community, it's a coping mechanism. I mean, we went through a fucking plague. uh, And, you know, I use terms that were acceptable 30, 40 years ago. And you're saying, no, you can't say that anymore because I blank. And it's like, well, actually, um, words, meanings of words change. People evolve. But when you take the intent out of the equation, when you say, I heard that word, and for me, that word means blank, and I'm not going to listen to the entire thought, I'm not going to listen to what the person is intending to to the point they're intending to make. I'm not going to listen to any nuance. I'm going to take it out of context. That's where this shit, why this shit happens. It's like, you know, I say this a lot in interviews. If you murdered someone and you were on trial for homicide, your sentence is determined by your intent. What were you thinking? Did you mean this? Did you mean that? And yet you don't give the same consideration to a comedian telling a joke, And their only goal is to make you laugh. That's their only goal. So don't, and we oftentimes miss the mark or we cross the line, but we don't know where the line is until we do our work in front of an audience. So don't fucking, you know, cancel us and vilify us for doing our job. Um, And the other thing is this idea that everything's about you. What the fuck? What is that shit? No one was thinking about you or your feelings when they wrote the joke. No one. Okay. You're no, it's, it's like, take yourself out of it. Okay. What is this comedian saying? We're the truth tellers. We speak truth to power. And that is threatening to a lot of people. This country has a weird relationship with the truth. And, you know, as you know, comedy is a weapon. You know, I use it. Um, look at, Look at fat fuck Trump. I mean, 
investigating SNL? I mean, seriously? What the fuck is wrong with you? He can't go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner? Like, this is just, like, nonsense. Satire is such a palatable way to make a point like a sub- and deal with subversive issues. You know what I mean? Like, and when you think of America, like, there's nothing more American than stand-up comedy, you know, because I think about our, our, our armed services who are embedded in, you know, the, you know, in wars and, and just, you know, overseas and just, the, you know, God bless them. But what have we done since the late 30s? We've sent comedians over to them to make them feel better. We, what other country sends comedians to their embedded armed forces, you know, to make them, you know, to ease their pain? Um, you know, you're stopping by your, this shit is stopping people from laughing. You know, Steve, like I'll do a joke. This is how it is now. You do a joke, right? And the audience will be like, (laughs) oh, oh, right. Oh, I'm so, I'm not supposed to. Like, what the, no, your instincts are right. If I talk about something, it doesn't, it doesn't cheapen that horrific event. It doesn't um, take away the pain from that horrific event. It, it acknowledges it. It says it was there. I'm, you know, like when I, t- I have jokes about the Holocaust and, you know, I've had people um, say to me, you know, I'm uncomfortable with that. And I'm like, you know, you can be uncomfortable with that. Um, and that's on you. But I get on stage every night and talk about the Holocaust. I get on stage every night and say, I'm a Jew. I get on stage every night and say, I'm a lesbian. I'm, you know, I do this, um, you know, I it's equal in my act, you know, stop taking yourself so fucking seriously. It's ridiculous. Now, what was it it's like? Fake too. Yeah. What yeah. was it like for you not performing for a while? Because, you know, we were on a shutdown for a oh, long yeah. time. And, you know, and I understand, you know, some people did Zoom shows, which I just can't see the concept of doing a Zoom show for the fact that it's good that people can get to laugh. But do you leave their mics on? Do you turn it off? You know, you well, yeah, laugh, yeah, you know. Yeah. but what was it like for you not being on stage? Because you've been a working comic and a performer for years. And all of a sudden, people, you know, I'm sure oh, the first God. month you're like, oh, you know what? Eh, it's it's going to pass. Then you're like holy shit, it's not going to pass. And then you're like, what What am I going to do? And, and it's like anything. I mean, when I used to do comedy, I would have to get on stage every night. It's like that runner who, oh, runs, yeah, yeah, yeah. who runs miles. If they don't get it, they get grumpy. How is right. it like you, how did you run this wave of the pandemic from not being on stage? And at what point did you get used to it and go, holy crap, I don't know if I'm ever going to get back on stage. Right. Um, good question. I, uh, You know, I've been doing this since I'm 19. I'm 58. And um, every night, I mean, look, I graduated college. In the very beginning, I didn't do it all the time. But, you know, I guess starting at about, I don't know, 23, 24, it was what you're saying. Like, every fucking night. Um, And... You know, it's interesting because, you know, I've had kids and uh, most my entire adult life, 
I have, you know, maybe had dinner and then gone out to work. And all of a sudden, it stopped. Everything stopped. And I was like, oh, oh, this is what normal people, like, I had no idea. You know, people eat and then they go read or watch TV or they go to the gym or, and I'm like, oh, and it, I don't think I ever would have stopped if this didn't happen. And the good thing was I got really great time with my family that I never would have had. Um, everyone was in the same boat. I kind of liked it. I kind of like, was like, oh, this is kind of great. I don't have to go on Instagram and see everyone's perfect life and every TV show they're doing and their perfect families and their new house. You know, like, uh, it really forced people to, you know, look, stop and look at their lives. And I feel like people like comedians, people like actors, people like gig workers who are so used to the precariousness of not knowing where their next dollar is coming from. I think they fared better than some of these people who were doing shitty jobs for 45 years, planning on retiring and then blah, 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 had their life planned out. You know, I think we were more emotionally equipped for it. Um, but, and the zoom shows I did, it was interesting because I was like, eh. but I literally, and people commented on it. I got all the equipment and set an area up like it was a comedy club. I put up a backdrop. I had a stool. I had my mic. Um, and I, and I had the, the, the computer, like literally I let, like I set it up and I felt like I had just done a set. Like when I was done, I was like, Oh, except I don't have to get on a fucking subway or get in a car or get in a plane. But it was so funny because, you know, if I was doing a Jew show, you know, and they were unmuted it was like, oh, the, close the window. I can't. Oh, my God. She's filthy. You know, it was just shit. And so finally, these uh, producers were like, OK, why don't we uh, mute everyone, which is the worst. And then they had to just they had to do this sort of screening of who they could unmute, who was, you know, and the delay, like, you know, when you're on stage, every audience laughs differently and you get into a rhythm, you start, you're like, okay, they laugh like this. You know, you're always editing. You're always figuring out when to start the next joke, whether or not to do a tag, you know, it's all happening in real time. And here you are like doing a joke. Huh? Oh, okay. You know, like you, <laughs> you're waiting um, and I sort of worked with it. I did like, I did a lot of crowd work. Um, I would be like, I can't believe you're washing dishes. Look at Johnny sleeping, you know, like it was, and they were like, Oh, uh, you know, so I figured out a way to make it work, but I have to tell you, um, I was lucky enough last summer, I was here doing two shows a week outside outdoors, which was great. But walking into the club finally uh, in May at full capacity and hearing that laughter in real time was, you know, it took away any of those uh, notions of, 
I don't know if I'll understand it anymore. You know, because like, you did question it like, oh, I like not packing. I like staying home. I like baking bread. <laughs> but the, the minute you hear that laugh in a full room laugh, I, there is nothing that compares to it. Nothing. I mean, I think I've changed my, I don't really want to go on the road anymore like I did. You know, I don't want to be packing and, you know. Um, but I still go out when I, especially when I'm in New York, I still go out five nights a week. I do sets and go down to the cellar and I'm, you know, have my notebook and I, I'm sitting on the subway. Sometimes I'm sitting on the subway with my notebook and I'm like, oh my God, I'm almost 60 years old and I'm still, I still love this. I still I like walk in the club. It's like my family. I'm like, oh, I'm getting on stage. You know, it's fucking crazy. It's crazy. Now, what got you into stand up? I mean, you know, we all we all have different reasons. I mean, mine was, you know, everyone said, oh, you know, I was a quiet but made people laugh in class. Right, I wasn't right. a class clown, and I always liked stand up. And finally, my mom had found a learning annex class in Philadelphia, taught by Brian McKim and Tracy Skeen. So I went and I took that, and I didn't tell me. Because I don't think people can teach you how to be funny. No, you can't. It taught me how to create an act and where to go. I'm from right. Cherry Hill. I never went. I didn't know. I didn't go into Philadelphia. We stayed in Cherry Hill, and right. I learned. But and so, but then that's where how I started. What got you into comedy? What made you decide to dis, be a stand-up? Because it is. And back then, there wasn't a lot of female comics either. No, no. I I loved comedy, and I remember. Um, I ended up becoming friends with Joan Rivers, but I remember as a little girl watching Joan and thinking, oh my God, here's this loud Jewish woman, brilliant. Oh my, like saying all the shit that I wish I, you know, I could, and like, and my parents love her. Everyone loves her. Fucking Johnny Carson. The whitest man on earth. Like, she's hysterical. And I remember Tony Fields and Sophie Tucker. I remember uh, Moms Mabley. I remember Carol Burnett. I mean, Lucille Ball. There were all these women that I was like, oh, my God, they're fucking hilarious. Um, but when I was in college, I was a sophomore. And uh, we had Secret Santas. And I went to Rutgers. And so... Uh, but our RA, my friend Howard, who every night for Secret Santas, we would put on a show in the lobby. Everyone would get a note from their Secret Santa and they had to perform something or do something really weird. Like I remember one student had to sing uh, Let It Rain or they played Let It Rain. And every time they got to the chorus, people dropped water on her. You know, I, People were walking around with apples on their heads. It was ridiculous. Anyway. I get a note from my secret Santa saying I have to do 10 minutes of stand-up comedy and use everyone on the floor as material. And I, it, I, t I took off from class. I wrote jokes. I, I took it so seriously. And um, we set up that night for the big show. The next night I had two days to do it. And I was so fucking nervous. And I did my first joke. Everyone started laughing and it was like an out of body experience. I was like, God has spoken to me. Like I never felt like that about anything ever. And that was it. 
my friend Howard was my secret Santa. Now, how did you start breaking into New York? Because, you know, I think about it offhand, you know, being, I started in 88 in Philadelphia, and I think we only, the only women we had were Mary Ellen Hooper and, um, I think a girl I knew, Laura Gottfried, Tracy Skeen was before us. She had already started. But I think about the open mics. Now, given it's changed, back then an open mic, we'd only have 25 people. It's not like right. now they have 2,000. But there wasn't a lot of women. How was it for you trying to break into it in New York? One, because New York was a very, pretty much a guys club. There's a lot of, I mean, there's guys who are doing it forever. But what was it like for you being, you know, a newbie, because you had just started at college, and then sitting there trying to get the respect and get the stage time? So... I, I had won this contest at Rutgers. Uh, they did some sort of talent contest. Um, and I, I won. And what it was was called Campus Comedy. And they would have three professional comedians come and judge this sort of show. And whoever won got to perform with them. So I won. And I got to do five minutes, and the show was Larry Amaros was uh, hosting, Adrian Tulsh was headlining, and Bill Sheft was the feature. Bill Sheft was the head writer for Letterman. Amaros has written for every, I mean, he was Joan Rivers' writer. He writes for Barry Manilow or whatever. And Adrian Tulsh was the queen of New York comedy. She uh, ran the open mic nights at Catch a Rising Star, which was the hottest club in the 80s and early 90s. There's nothing has ever compared to that period of time because, you know, we didn't have cell phones. I mean, it was, you got discovered. You got discovered. Um, and eight, I did my five minutes and they were like, you're really funny. And I was like, really? And Adrian said, I run the open mics on Mondays. Come in and hang out and I'll get you on. So, of course, I'm like this 19-year-old, like, oh, okay. And then I, I started hanging out at Catch a Rising Star thinking I was going to get on. But, you know, I would go and hang and I wouldn't get on. But I would watch. I would watch. Uh, I'd stay there all night and watch. Um, and the women who I found, you know, yes, there were not a lot of women. And, and at that time, you never had more than one woman on a show. They would never have a woman follow another woman. When I started going out on the road and trying to get other gigs, I would call clubs and they would say, oh, we had a woman here three months ago. She didn't do well. So we're not hiring. And be like, oh, so every guy that's been on your stage has killed. Is that what you're fucking saying? But when I started, I watched... Um, Susie Essman, Joy Behar, Carol Liefer, Kathy Ladman, um, Paula Poundstone, Margaret Smith. Uh, she was amazing. Um, and I had watched in high school Elaine Boozler and Rita Rudner. But, uh, you know, sort of in my class, uh, which the difference between being a female comic at the time and being a male comic was we never got to work with each other ever. And there was a club um, 
in Soho called Comedy U Grand. It was on 55 Grand Street. And every Thursday, they did a show uh, that was all women. And it, it was so, they, they literally, I have an ad, I, I, um, I saved it, where it says, um, Thursdays, all female comedians, like they had to double fucking down on it, you know? <laughs> and that, we all got $5. And that was the only night of the week we all got to work together. And that's where I met Wanda, um, Susie and Joy would come in a lot. Henriette Mantel. Uh, who else did we hang out with? Brett Butler. Um, God, who else was there? Uh, shit. I, I mean, a lot of people who don't even do stand-up anymore. Um, it was, it. you know, it's funny that you, you talk about, you know, now there's so many more women. Um, we still don't get paid as much. Uh, and it's interesting. We've gotten to say more of what we want to say on stage. Um, but it's, there's still these shows like where there's three guys on a show. It's a comedy show. When there's three women on a show, it's a special event. It's hysterical or ladies night out or for women only, you know? And I remember I got an HBO special in 95 and at that time they were doing uh these specials where it was five women doing about 12 to 15 minutes each uh and they called it uh women of the night and those were the only i mean besides caroline's comedy hour and evening at the improv those were really the only opportunities we had um and I had gotten uh, Women of the Night, and then they gave me an HBO special, oh, thank God, a half hour. But, you know, it was, I look now, and, I, you know, I look at a lot of, there's so many, and there's some of them, are, they're just great. I mean, I love women comics. Uh, but it's so funny because the the women before me, and and the woman who paved the way for me and then me who I came out in, in 96 on stage as a gay parent. Um, and I was also pregnant on stage and it's just funny now that, Oh, this one's pregnant. And, you know, and I'm like, I was pregnant on stage in 2001, you know, but no one paid attention. Um, it's as if like, Oh, look what these people are doing, you know? Um, and it's like, no, we were all kind of doing that. Um, but no one was paying attention. Uh, and I, I love that it's easier for them, but it's still not as fair and there's still a double standard. And it's like this idea of feminism, which to me is, that whatever women say on stage is just as valid, just as funny, just as equal as whatever guys talking about. It doesn't mean we should talk about the same things as guys. We should use their language or, you know, talk about porn and which is fine. Like you do whatever you want, but it should also be that whatever the fuck we're talking about is just as valid as 
whatever any guy is talking about. But now, I'm 58, the ageism is ridiculous. It is beyond ridiculous. And I talk about it with some of my guy comic friends too, but for a woman, it's really funny how we get, we get older, we get funnier. And, and a lot of the networks are like, no one wants to hear what you have to say. Oh, really? Well, Joan Rivers was never more relevant than when she died at 82, you know? It's funny. It's so, like I say that to yeah. people I know about, you know, sitcoms. You know, a lot of sitcom writers were getting, you know, they, they didn't want the older people. They wanted the young people. Then they brought all the young people in and all the shows sucked. So they asked, so we have to go back and get the people right, who actually right. know what they're doing. Because, you know, I've always noticed, and even podcasting, I've been doing this for 10 years. And there's people who have been doing it for like a year and a half or two. And I try to tell them, no, man, it's an art form. You know, you got to right. sit there. You just, you don't, just don't learn it. And I always tell them, if you're a performer, it's a little bit easier. Because you know the thing, like a comic, we can think on our feet. Of, of a guest. Right, right, right. You know, we, we get guests who can be pricks sometimes. But if right. you sit and you know how to deal with it. But it's just funny that, you know... You're right. I mean, and for you, you've been working for a long time and your writing style has changed. Your humor has changed. You've grown more and you think people would want that because it's like anything. Unless you get worse, if you get worse doing comedy for a long time, just get out of the business. Well, you know I, I mean? feel like, you know, you know, the people who get worse. And also, I, I should mention the fact that my neighbor's doing construction. I'm going to close the window. Hold on. This has to fucking saw. God damn it. Anyway. Um, so, um, the people who've given me jobs in this business, excuse me, have all been women. Margaret Cho, Rosie O'Donnell, uh, Pamela Adlon, Bette Midler. Um, and they've all given me, like, great opportunities um but it's funny when you say people aren't funny anymore and you know who's, what i think happens when you start believing all the shit you know when you become famous and don't you know live in the same reality as everyone else you know like um andy kaufman purposely would go drive a cab for three months to be in the world. You know, you gotta be in the world. You know, this is your, your, this is your perspective. Um, and I think, uh, when people get too big for their bridges or, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it, I really think you have to be, there's a certain sense of humility and um, just groundedness that you need to have to, to remain funny, you know? Um, you know, we all have our point of view, but if your point of view changes to the point where your point, point of view is not relatable anymore to other people, that's when I think you become unfunny, you know? Now, how has your point of view changed? How has is, how is your act developed over the years as you've matured it happens in comedy it happens in songwriting yeah. it happens with everyone how, how how would you say you look at it uh and how do you think you've grown um well i think um you know i really i'm older 
I'm a mother. Um, my parents are dead. I think that there are all these things that happen in your life that sort of change you and change. Like if I were to think back, um, the things, you know, when I was doing stand up in my twenties, my father died when I was 27, um, suddenly. And I remember, you know, there's certain times in your life, there's a before Judy and an after Judy where you're, you're permanently changed. And I remember my father died and I remember after that, you know, I do a lot of crowd work uh, when I'm doing a long show. I love doing crowd work, uh, which I was um, told not to do for many years. Like, that's the other thing, you know, for many years, you're too Jewish. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about being gay. Don't do crowd work. Like all that shit that I kept in the back of my mind, that I, that's how I've changed. I'm like, don't you fucking ever tell me what to do ever it's my you know and adrian Tolsch said that to me once she said it's your time on stage and you do with it what you want not you know but you, you gotta turn that shit off you can't compare yourself to another comic because you're all different you know there's room for everyone but um you know i remember my father died and afterwards i was doing a show and there was this family in the front bro and i was like hey what are you guys celebrating what's going on and they were like our mother died last week we were trying to all come out and, and usually before that i've been like oh my god i'm so sorry but then i just i was like well great thank you so much for bringing the show down everything's about you 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 know like it and they started laughing i remember i was once doing a show at the original room and there were these three or four chatty people in the car. I go, what the hell's going on over there? You don't, you're not shutting up. They're like, Oh, um, she has cancer and she's getting her leg amputated tomorrow. And I'm like, Oh, everything's about you. Isn't it? Everything's about, and I would do a joke and I'd be like, but I don't have cancer. And they fucking loved it, you know? And that's where I sort of learned like, stop, you know, nothing is sacred. Nothing is too, um, you know, Laughter is such um, a, a salve. You know, my friend Bob Smith, who was my closest friend, and he was a comic, and he died of ALS. He was the first out gay male on The Tonight Show. He written five books. He's, he was just the greatest. Um, and I write about this in my book too. And he wrote it about, about it in one of his books, um, Treehab. Uh, his sister um, shot herself. And uh, I, this is such a, but this is the way comic, if you really want to know what a com, how, how comics relate to one another, if for the listeners, I'm just telling you this because this is how we talk to each other. His sister shot her, herself and he had to go, and identify the body and then call his mother and tell, I mean, it was awful. She lived in um, California and he called me and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then the following day uh, I called him up and I said, how are you doing? And he was like, you know, crying and I said, you know what, Bob, seriously, it's been 24 hours. Don't you think you're overreacting? And he said, 
that was like putting a candle in a coffin for him that he saw the light you know we are comics because it's been our coping mechanism you know uh it doesn't mean he's not in the same amount of pain and that I, and that i'm you know cheapening or denying his pain it just means like it's a release like think about if you go to a funeral and someone gets up to talk and it's like oh and then finally they say and then remember when he used to run around with that hat on they don't it's like a release it's like a release of tension that's what a punchline is you know and it's not your enemy so stop you know it's you know it is crazy you say that and you're right and, and you, you see that a lot on uh Twitter, people get so pissed. And I know, I know you're very good with the trolls on Twitter. I've oh seen you God. respond. But now, I mean, as someone, because you know you're well known and you're a comic, and some people that like, gives them fodder to jump on your case. Do you sit there and just? Is there any times you just say "fuck it"? I'm not even going to yes. deal with this, or do you just say, "You know what? Screw this person." How do you deal with that? Because even if you just write something, you know, I think you wrote something and someone said, "Oh, you're still alive." And right, that that happened recently. Yeah, I saw oh, that, and I was like, so I was like and, but I and think, then, how do you do you, you decipher know, who you're going to fuck with and yeah, who you aren't? It's like it kind of depends on what kind of day I'm having, because mostly I'm like, oh, go fuck yourself. But I was just like, you know, sometimes I'll say why, like, what's your, what do you, what is it, like? And for that one, someone's like, oh, the shock to me was that Judy Gold's still alive, and I wrote something about. Okay, 20 followers, meaning, you know, I have, you know, I have, I don't have that many followers, maybe, you know, 57,000 or something. I don't even know. But my point being, obviously, people know I'm alive, you know, and yet everyone takes it a different way. Like, oh, you're, you're making fun of him because he has 20. No, I'm acknowledging that I'm alive because I actually, you know, you have 20 followers, you would be, you know. But whatever, it doesn't matter. So that one I did the other day because I was really pissed off. But, you know, I've gotten, if I can think of a joke, I mean, sometimes they're so mean that they're hilarious. Like someone wrote, you know, they should have another Holocaust just for you. And I was like, really? You know, why kill all those other people? You know, you know, if you just, um, you think about that these people have no fucking balls, that they're so they're anonymous it's like oh oh you're so powerful you wrote something mean to someone and do, do, do. you know like they're just it's pathetic well i always they, i always compare yeah. it to you know back before social media if you were out at a bar with your friends and their friend brought that one asshole who would sit there and if he, yeah. called, if he called you stupid you'd punch him in the face I mean, right. it wasn't, but now they don't have to worry about that. And when, you right. know, when you're an, you know, you're a comic and you're opinionated, it seems it pulls these leeches out just to try to attack. You know, I used to, that's another thing that changed. You know, I used to just be like, you know, I'll say what I say and, you know, I'm not going to get involved in politics. But then you just are like, Really? You know, I have a microphone and, you know, it really started when I came out and I was like, people would come up to me after the show um, when I was talking about my family and be like, you know, in after a few minutes, they forgot I was gay because it was the same shit they're dealing with with their kids. And it really did 
change their minds. I had a guy in Houston come up to me and say, I really understand why, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I was in the armed forces. I, I get why gays want to get married now or why you should be able to get married. I used to do a whole bit about all the people that are allowed to get married and I'm not. Like, you know, Eric and Lyle Menendez can get married in jail, but I can't, you know. Um, and it was just, it, you know, just the irony and the, you know, there were certain things I just wanted to talk about on stage and I was just like, I'm not going to fucking please everyone. But now... The social media shit is so annoying in a way. And I know a lot of people like it because, I mean, I resent it in a way because I feel like I spend, I have to spend time doing that instead of what I want to do, you know, but it's really hard business-wise because someone who does the viral video um, and, and then, you know, gets a million followers will be booked in a club. Uh, before someone who's been doing it for 35 years and has an app and that person will go in and bomb and people will be like, Oh, you know, they're not, you know, they're not ready to do that. And yet the club will book them to do that. Uh, And those people will leave thinking that's what comedy is. So it's a necessary evil. Um, uh, And when I, when we were talking in the beginning and I said, you got to, I mean, it was like, you get on stage, you didn't know who was in the audience. People would get The Tonight Show or Letterman or a sitcom deal just from someone stopping in and, you know, just being there. Uh, it was a really exciting... When you auditioned for SNL, you did it. It didn't matter. Um, you had your, whatever, six minutes, whatever. You got on. The audience sucked. Too bad. That was it you had one shot you didn't get to tape it and tape it again and then tape it again and tape it again and tape it again until you finally got the tape you wanted and send it over to the casting director just it it's a whole different ball game now and you think about entertainment you know when i think about like consummate entertainers like sammy davis jr was a consummate like it was him and a stage and he could do anything you know there was no like pyrotechnics. There was no, you know, that that kind of stuff is is what I miss. You know, this pure the pure entertainment. I got to ask you. You know, you mentioned earlier when you when you decided to come out on stage and said things. What was that like? As was that a did it was it a breath of fresh air? Because for years you probably wanted to do bits about it, but because it was such a different climate. I mean, it's funny. I think about my buddy Gene I went to college with, and I graduated college in 86. Uh-huh. And, you know, I was back then I'd look now because we're friends and he's married to his husband. They've been together. And I always think, you know, back then we go, hey man, you're not hitting on any girls. He's like, no. And back then yeah. no no one was allowed. I mean, it was like, oh, right. wait a you can't. What was it like for you on stage when you sat there and you probably just say, man, this bit is a gem but i can't do it because one bookers will be like oh well we don't we don't want that in the yeah what was it like for you what what made you finally decide i'm coming out on stage okay well i did watch all the people like bob suzanne westenhofer robin tyler um oh my god there were so many um before me who were fearless uh reno who else um Frank Maya, all these people, a lot of them worked in um, cabaret or 
smaller performance performing art spaces uh and they were pigeonholed we're told that you know this our next this is a gay comedian lesbian comedian and i never wanted to be that i just wanted to be a funny comedian. and i did talk about gay people in my act but i never like my roommates you know i would talk about all this stuff but once i had a child and i had all this material and i was like First of all, what kind of message is that to give to your kid? Listen, I'm not going to talk about our family on stage because, you know, I was like, fuck it. My family's just as valid as yours. Every kid talks about their family. I'm going to talk about my family. It really came out as a gay parent, you know? Um, and I was proud of my family. And I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to lie about who I am. Uh, before that, I didn't really have any material. I was in a relationship. It was you know, a boring, you know, I didn't, there was no, I didn't really focus on that at all. Um, but once I had kids, that was it. And I wanted them to be proud, um, as proud as I am of our family. And, you know, that's my truth. I mean, there's people still in the closet and I'm like, really? Because you can't, it's hard to be a great comedian if you're bullshitting all the time. Now, I got another question for you. The podcast. What yes. What did you make through the podcast? I know you had the wonderful Wendy Liebman on just recently. Oh, yes, just and recently. She's yeah. doing my show tomorrow for like the fourth or fifth time. She's the yeah. nicest person. What made you decide to do a podcast, and, and, and how do you go about getting your guests? Who do you choose? Uh, well, first, I was asked. CBS started a podcast network, which is now defunct, and they asked me to do it. And I was like, okay, well, everyone has a podcast. This was in 2015. Uh, what's going to make mine different? And I wanted to think about what's different about me. And the fact is I get annoyed at everything. I am my mother's daughter and everything fucking gets on my nerves. And I say, kill me now about a hundred thousand times a day, which according to the Brandeis new terms, you're not allowed to say Brandeis university. One of them is kill me or I'm going to kill myself. So basically I can't even talk anymore. So I said, why don't I get my guests on and we'll talk about what pisses them off the most. Cause I wanted something that makes them passionate you know so that's how it sort of started and then it sort of morphed as you said you you grow into it i love people's stories i love their childhoods i love to know like i'm always like doing research on people and finding out like interesting things about i was like that's what i want that's what i want to do i want to find out who the fuck you are and what your story is and shit about you that no one that you don't talk about that no one because you're always promoting something um and that's what it became it became that plus what pisses you off the most and i do these in-depth uh interviews where i'm not kidding 99.9 percent of the time at least two or three times during the interview people are like what how do you know that and and i it sort of morphed out of amount i've done interviews and been asked the most ridiculous questions no one's done their due diligence they haven't you know they don't know the name of my book or they don't you know it's like really it's so fucking easy to do your job don't make me do your job and so i find people's fascinating I find people's stories fascinating and there's always something you don't know like that 
you're like, wow. And that's really what the podcast is about. And I found out from someone I know who's a producer on a, uh, a talk show that they use my podcast as research. Well, there you go. That's good. I always, yeah. I always like to do my research, but I've learned you can never, um, and I learned this very early on, you can't trust Wikipedia because I, I oh no I do other shit I, I just read yeah I, I read I had articles Mind, I had yeah. Mindy I had Mindy Sterling on my show and I said yeah. oh so Mindy you, you you were in BJ and a Bear no I wasn't and then as an interviewer you're like oh shit I screwed up right but, yeah I always read interviews they've done or listen to um re, I read their books or I listen to like the NPR and you know stuff that's where you really get stuff even it's funny you know I've learned about people through the forwards in their book. Um, it's, you know, people really, I think when they do these things, they, they want, they want to feel comfortable or feel, um, respected in a way like, oh, you're really interested in it's, this is not just a bullshit thing, you know? And that's why I do it. I feel like it's the interview that people should you know do but they don't because no one has a fucking work ethic anymore and that and that pisses you off oh my god <laughs> i can't just do your fucking job like, I, or don't take the job you I know always, what i mean i always think that too you know i always i always laugh you know when i was growing up you know if you were i worked at a restaurant if i was like two minutes late even if it was snowing i'd be right. yelled at next day if right. i did the same thing I'd be fired. Now it's like you can be late twenty-seven oh. times, and even with comedy, I was never late for a show. I was, oh, never, was never. If I was, I was a half an hour before, and if I was going to be like twenty minutes before, I'd be shit myself. Going, oh my god, there's traffic. I'm not going to make it. Right. It's just, yeah, it's so weird. It's like you're late. I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry. Um, that triggers me. I'm so, oh fucking shut up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. You know, it's like we're so. Everyone thinks that their opinion is valid. It's like we've gotten to the point where, you know, you get a trophy for winning the race and breaking the record and you get a trophy for smiling while he did it. No, <laughs> it's not the same thing. And that's not how life is. <laughs> I want to thank you. This is great. I've, I've liked your act. I've, I've been, you know, it's funny. Oh, I've, thank you. I appreciate it. You always it. crack me up, and uh, my wife's a fan, too. And I was, and I was watching the old uh, clips today. Oh, that's the one great thing about, you know, you know, with YouTube. You can find clips know, from years right? ago. Like, you know, you see some people, and you're like, oh, my God, you know, it's crazy. So uh, you have a great website. People, go to judygold.com. Her website, it shows everything. It shows her book. It shows her podcast. What, what shows do you want to promote besides your uh well, I'm in Provincetown. Um, I want to promote my podcast. And, of course, please, if you love stand-up, you'll love my book. Yes, I can say that. When they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. It's also an audio book, which people love. And uh, I am August 1st. I'll be in Atlanta. Um, then I'm going to Minnesota. I don't even know. I have to go look at my thing. I can't even deal with it. So people check out Judy's <laughs> website. My go, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. Yeah. You can find over 860 And follow episodes. me. Follow her on follow Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, J-E-W-D-Y. Judy Gold. On Twitter and Instagram. And she tweets a lot, and she's very funny. And, Thank uh, you. People, so follow me on Twitter, at coopertalk. Uh, Instagram, coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.
Thank you, 